You're listening to Redeeming Grace Audio. For more resources or messages, check out redeeminggracecc.com. Confined. Unable to get out. Forced to rely on strange methods of communication for distance relationships. And maybe even the hardest thing, thinking of new less convenient, often at times difficult and awkward ways to share the gospel. Of course, I'm speaking about Paul, who was writing this letter to Timothy from prison, waiting to be executed by the Roman government. Now, Perhaps that makes this whole last couple months of sheltering in place and social distancing seem fairly tame by comparison. But no matter what the circumstances, no matter the severity of our situations, at times, circumstances like this or circumstances in general in our lives have the power to make us feel like we're incapable, like we're unqualified, like we're unworthy or maybe even just uninterested in sharing the gospel. And maybe you've felt some of those things over the past couple months. Maybe you felt that way during different seasons of your life, be it because of sin, sickness, apathy, difficulty, busyness, whatever the case may be, in times where you felt trapped, limited, unworthy, or unable or incapable of sharing the gospel, maybe some of this feeling is familiar. Maybe some of this resonates, especially right now in this moment. But as we're going to see here in 2 Timothy, the message of the gospel is always greater than the messenger. And not only that, but the message of the gospel is more powerful and more profound and stronger than anything this world or our situations or circumstances can throw against us. And it always prevails and always goes forth and always redeems people to the grace and the mercy of God. And when the church, you and I, followers of Jesus, really starts to believe that, we find that incredible things begin to happen for the kingdom of God. And so this morning, we're going to answer the call that Paul gives to Timothy to remember. To remember the gospel and not just the message of the gospel, but the power of the gospel. And then specifically the power of the one who brought the gospel to us in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And recognize that no matter what our circumstances look like this week, next week, two months from now, or two years from now, no matter what the world may look like, no matter what our lives may look like, not only does the gospel never change, but the gospel never weakens. And we're going to see this morning that because of the eternal nature of the gospel, Mixed with the unbound, unshackled nature of the word of God. When you put those things together and the church begins to believe that, what we find ourselves becoming is an unbound, empowered, unleashed church being used for God's glory, for the good of our neighbors and the expansion of the kingdom through the proclaiming of the unchanging, unwavering gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to look at that this morning as we continue moving through the book of 2 Timothy. And our text this morning is in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. And Paul says, remember Jesus Christ, 
risen from the dead, the offspring of David as preached in my gospel for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. Mm. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. May God add his blessing and his favor to the reading of his word. Thanks be to God for his word. Let's pray. Almighty God, we just begin this morning by asking you to make your power known to your people, that we would recognize the goodness and the majesty and the overwhelming timeless truth and providential power that comes in the gospel of Christ died, risen, and returning. God, I pray that you would remove all hindrances in our minds and in our hearts to what can be done when your people believe this. That we would remember that no matter our circumstances, no matter our situations, that you have given us a calling to be the hands and feet of Christ and to be heralds of good news everywhere that we go, and that you have promised us that when we do that, that people will be saved by the gospel, shaped and fitted for eternity, and reconciled into a relationship with you. So God, I pray that you just remove in our minds any distractions and any limitations, and that you would help each and every one of us individually, that you would help us as a church family and as the church all over the world to begin to remember Jesus. And let the truth of his gospel be so resonant in our hearts that it just bursts from our lips without fear or hesitation, knowing that the word of God is not bound. And no matter what situation your people may find ourselves in, you are always going to redeem and draw people to yourself through the work of the church. So God, we just put this time in your hands. We ask that you teach us through your Holy Spirit. And we ask all of this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Well, like I said, beginning to understand this idea of the true nature and power that the church has in any circumstance or situation comes with a reminder, first and foremost, about the power of the gospel. Not of the church as an institution, not as a group of people with a certain set of skills or talents or marketing abilities, but it always goes back to the truth of the gospel. Now, if I was to ask you where we find the gospel in scripture, maybe you would go to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And that makes sense because they are the gospels by genre. That is where we find the story of the birth of Christ, the life and ministry of Jesus, his teachings, his miracles, and then his death and his resurrection. But also maybe we could say, well, also what about the epistles? That's where we see the apostles begin to break down the ramifications of that truth, the ramifications of that story for each and every one of us. But the reality is, and maybe you already know this, the gospel is present and permeates every single corner of scripture. It's just like Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon said, as he quotes an old pastor saying that we should always, when we look at scripture, find every road that leads to the cross. 
And if we don't see it explicitly, we should go through every river and tree and valley to find the road that leads to the cross because the entire point of all of scripture is to reveal God to his people and reestablish and reconcile that relationship through Jesus. And so every breath of scripture points us to the cross and the empty tomb. And clearly Paul believes that as well. In verse eight, I love how this is worded. He says, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David as preached in my gospel. And I don't know how intentionally Paul meant this, but I, I feel like he's a pretty smart guy. And so I think he knows what he's doing here, especially when we get to the end of this passage and he encapsulates all of scripture under the banner of the gospel. But right there, he says, remember Jesus. Remember Jesus of the gospels. Jesus Christ risen from the dead. And it's taught to us in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that was taught by these apostles and proclaimed by these apostles. He says, remember Jesus preached in the gospels, but also remember Jesus, the offspring of David. Remember the presence of Christ in the Old Testament. And he says, and as preached in my gospel. Again, tying in this idea of the epistles. And so Paul is calling us to remember Christ proclaimed throughout the entire narrative of scripture from the Old Testament to the gospels, to the epistles and everywhere in between. He's saying, this is the Jesus. This is the gospel. He says, remember the gospel that was planned out before the foundations of the earth. The gospel that was a present reality before Genesis chapter one. The gospel that was announced in the Garden of Eden. That was modeled through the people of Israel in the promised land. That was coronated in the life of David. That was promised by the prophets, revealed in full in Christ Jesus, and then preached by the gospels. That's the gospel that Paul calls us to remember. It seems like in every generation, when you look through the history of the church, the religious and social and political and secular climate around the church was already always ready to pronounce the death of Christianity. Surely this is the moment where the church dies. This is the moment where the church loses its power and influence. This is the time when all this silly Jesus nonsense begins to fade away and we can get back to life as normal. But when we look through the full narrative of the Bible and also all of church history from the resurrection onward until this day, the gospel has endured. The gospel has endured anonymity and slavery. It's endured apostasy and exile. It's, a, it's endured oppression and infertility and persecution and even apathy. And it will continue to endure until the day when Christ returns to make it all right and all new and to bring the gospel to its completion. But for the Christian church, our witness our proclamation of that gospel, our proclamation of that truth is far too easily obstructed by the fear of the times. We certainly, we live in a post-Christian world. We live in a time when people aren't receptive to the gospel. We live in a time where the gospel falls on deaf ears. The gospel doesn't match the culture and the world around us. But the reality is the gospel has never matched the, cost, the, the culture, excuse me, or the word around us. 
The gospel has never been neatly fit into the times because the gospel is transcendent of time and space and the gospel interjects itself into our reality, into our modernism, into whatever circumstances may be and drastically interrupts the whole thing. And it's the call of the people of God to not be afraid. To not, as we looked at last week, to not be ashamed of the gospel, but to boldly put the gospel out into the world, no matter what circumstances may arise, trusting that this timeless, eternal gospel is one that prevails from generation to generation. And that even though the grass withers and the flower fades, the word of God is forever and nothing can stand against us. We need to remember that Jesus who through him all things were created. The Jesus who spoke the world into being. The Jesus who walked with people in the cool of the garden. The Jesus who wrestled with Jacob and stood in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The Jesus that proclaimed the truth of the gospel to the prophets so many years before his time. The Jesus who entered into time and space and turned it on its head as he was born into the world in the form of a baby, but grew in wisdom and stature and favor with men and began to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God and then inaugurated it, not simply through his death, but broke into eternity with his resurrection and made that hope available to us. The Jesus who died and rose again. And in the same way as Paul calls Timothy to remember Christ Jesus, we should do the same. And to remember the eternal nature of his gospel. And not be hindered by what we think is palatable in our times, but be encouraged and renewed and restored to continue pursuing Christ and proclaiming the gospel with every breath we're given in every season and time. Because we have been given an eternal gospel. But not only that, but we do this through an unbound word. I was reading a little bit, and I knew some of this, but I just wanted to read some particular stories. I was reading a little bit about ancient Egyptian burial practices over the course of this past week, because, you know, quarantine, why not? And it would be a very unpleasant experience to serve in the court of a pharaoh. Because not only do you have to attend to the needs of such a pharaoh, and maybe it's a good one, maybe it's a bad one, but either way, it doesn't seem like a good gig. But, and as you probably know, things get much worse after the pharaoh dies. Because when the pharaoh dies, they build these pyramids for them. They spend pretty much their whole life building their tomb, which is just a sad and disturbing way to live, but it's kind of what they do. And so they build this pyramid, they build this tomb, and then they begin to fill it with stuff, with food and provisions and cats and people. Sometimes people that have been killed because when the Pharaoh dies, they kill some people and humans sacrifice them to go alongside the Pharaoh into the great beyond. Sometimes people that are still alive and get to go in there and I guess hang out with the cats and probably eat some of the food until they run out of oxygen or get, oxygen or get really tired of each other and kill each other or just slowly wither away and die. Seems pretty terrible. But in the mind of the Pharaoh, and so once I die, all of this stuff goes with me. And there are a lot of times, at least spiritually speaking, where we act like Pharaohs in regards to our faith, in regards to our ministry, and in regards to our proclamation of the gospel. 
There's a lot of times when we can feel like, well, if I'm not doing well, if I'm not spiritually where I should be, if I'm discontent, if life isn't going well, if I'm in a really difficult circumstances, if I find myself in the midst of some sort of storm of life, if my situation in life is not conducive to ministry or the gospel, that no one else is probably doing well either. And our church probably isn't doing well, or the church all over the world isn't doing well. The gospel must not be doing well because I'm not doing well. And so we take our brokenness, we take our weakness, and we pull the whole thing in with us. And maybe we don't say it explicitly, although sometimes we do, but we certainly act like it. We become this vacuum or this black hole, just bringing everything into the despair and the weakness and the isolation with us. Paul finds himself in a pretty terrible situation. And so after spending the latter part of his life planting churches, investing in people, sharing the gospel, enduring all sorts of hardships from being stoned to being imprisoned, to being shipwrecked and being hated and run out of cities and places for his preaching of the gospel. Once he finds himself here, it would be easy for Paul to either become bitter or defeated and just sit back and say, I guess I'm, I guess I'm done. I guess there's nothing else I can do now. Listen as he describes his situation. He says in verse nine, this gospel for which I am suffering bound with chains as a criminal, but not simply bound with chains, but bound with chains in a Roman prison, pretty much waiting for his execution. Paul is writing this letter to Timothy from a place that he will never leave until literally he's killed for his faith in Christ. And so, of course, it would be easy for Paul just to sit back and say, well, it must be time for somebody to take over. There's nothing I can do now at this point. And so I'm going to write this letter to Timothy. You take over. You take the mantle. I'm just going to sit here and just die and take all of my ministry, take all the proclamation of the gospel with me because there's nothing I can do because, look, I'm bound. But, of course, that's not what Paul thinks, is it? He says, I'm here. In verse nine, he says, I'm here with chains bound as a criminal, but the word of God, it's not bound. I may be in chains, but the gospel is not in chains. I may be hindered, but the gospel is not hindered. And so Paul recognized that even though his situations were dire, it didn't matter. He was so totally unconcerned with his circumstances or his confinements because he knew that if he remained faithful to the gospel, the word would continue on its mission. He says, I may be here physically. I may be hurting emotionally or even spiritually or physically, but the gospel is going to continue on. And so as long as I have breath in my lungs, no matter what the situation may be, the word of God is not bound. And so I'm going to keep putting it out into the world, no matter what that may look like. But I wonder how often we allow our weaknesses our shortcomings or our situations affect our view of the power of the word. And again, maybe we don't openly acknowledge that we don't believe the word is strong enough. But if we're in a time of insecurity, shame, or guilt, if we're in a time of being physically constrained for one reason or another, if we're in a time of feeling emotionally or mentally withered or tired or broken, 
we start to feel like we don't have much use, don't we? Well, there's nothing I can do. Maybe this is a season for somebody else. Maybe I've done the work that I'm supposed to do and now it's time for other people to take up that work or take up that mantle or even getting to the point where we say, I don't care if anybody else does, but I can't do it. I'm not strong enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not righteous enough. I'm not holy enough. I'm not whatever it may be enough. And so clearly the word of God can't work in and through me. Clearly I'm of no use to the word of God. Or what we're really saying there is the word of God has no power because I'm not what I need to be, where I need to be, or who I need to be. But the word of God is not weak. The word of God is not quarantined. It's not sheltering in place. It's not socially distanced. The word of God and the gospel is not bound. And when the people of God really start to believe that, we will find that God's kingdom will expand no matter what the situation may be. There have been so many times throughout the history of Christianity that Christianity cannot be practiced on the public square. There are places all around the world right now as we have a tendency to be whiny and pitiful because we can't get together in person for meetings or it might be a little more difficult to share the gospel or we might feel oppressed or blah, 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 blah. When all around the world there are Christians who literally can't proclaim the gospel in the public square without the risk of losing their freedom or their lives. And yet in those places, surprise, surprise, the gospel is not bound. And so no matter what our situation may be, gospel is not bound. And no matter where we find ourselves or what we find ourselves doing, we need to be proclaiming that gospel because not only is it timeless and eternal, but it is powerful and it is not held back by our weaknesses, by our unworthiness, by our location or our situation. And so we just need to be the kind of people who are faithful to proclaim it no matter what and trust that Christ is going to move through his word and use it to save people by his grace. And that gets us to this final thought. Because when we put those things together, when we take the eternal gospel and the recognition of the unbound word and we put those together and we believe those things, what we find ourselves becoming as followers of Christ is an empowered, unleashed church. In verse 10 here, Paul says, Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. One of the things that I love about Paul and his ministry, and one of the things that I I pray is true and will be true about me and all of us in our ministries is this incredible other's first nature that Paul has in all of his letters. And not just in the sense that he's constantly instructing people to put others first, saying, have this mind which is yours in Christ Jesus, not quarreling among ourselves, not arguing with ourselves, but sacrificing ourselves for one another, telling us not to look simply to our own needs, but also to the needs of others, to count other people more significant than ourselves. That's the commandment over and over and over again from Paul to the church. But he also models that in his lives, in his life, saying, I wish I could be with you. I long to be close to you, saying that I am suffering and I'm in chains for you. We even see Paul vocalizing this idea that he wishes he could take his own salvation and give it away to others and endure hell for other people so that they may have this way to follow after Christ. 
And here he says the similar thing. Knowing that the word of God is not bound, he says, therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect. He says, I'm in chains for you. I'm in chains for all those who God is drawing to himself for salvation. I am willing to suffer for the gospel because I know that through that, I will see people drawn into salvation. But I do wonder how often we find ourselves having to endure for our evangelism. On one hand, because it's, it's fairly easy in the society in which we live. But on the other hand, because when it does get hard or awkward or embarrassing, we just don't. And I say we because I mean we. So many times in my life, it's easy to share my faith when I have a captive audience. It's easy to share my faith when it's someone that I know is ready or desperate or searching but when it requires a little bit of suffering or discomfort or unease, or even just a change to my rhythms and patterns of my life, it's easy just to leave it for someone else. We're often so passive and passionless and fearful and comfortable that we neglect to remember that there is a world around us of people desperate for the gospel that God is preparing the hearts of men and women and children around us to hear the gospel and respond. And so it's time for us to recognize the power, to see the church as the unleashed body of Christ set on mission by a gospel that transcends time and space and a word that cannot be bound and to recognize that no matter what comes in our lives and no matter where we find ourselves, when we are bold enough to proclaim the gospel, God is going to use that to save people to himself. And so we need to be the kind of people who long to see people saved who are desperate to see people baptized inside of our church and then, like Paul, be willing to endure whatever comes in our lives so that they may obtain salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. But this is only possible when we realize that we've been saved by an eternal gospel that will endure throughout all generations that we are gifted and equipped with that gospel through an unbound word that has no limitations, no weaknesses or inadequacies. And that it's not our skills. It's not our labors. It's not our works. It's not our churches that are able to save people, but it's the message of that gospel. And we just happen to be the mouths that God is using to proclaim it. Once we realize that and grasp that and recognize that power, there is nothing that can stop the church from turning our communities, our state, our nation, and our world upside down. The entire book of Acts is filled with inadequate, unworthy people bound by a lack of education, a lack of finances, a lack of transportation, and at times a lack of freedom. And yet God used them to change literally the entire world. And the same Holy Spirit that moved in the church in that first century moves within us as well. We just need to trust the leading and guiding of the Holy Spirit, grab onto the power of the gospel, 
and be willing to be proclaimers of that truth in any season and situation, recognizing that we are not bound because the gospel is not bound. And then pray that through our work, through any means necessary, that even if we find ourselves in chains and bondage, that the gospel would go forward, people would be saved and set apart for an eternal glory with Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we need that reminder every single day. And so we just ask, first and foremost, that you would make each and every one of us the kind of people who believe in the power of the gospel. And that individually we would be unafraid to share the gospel, no matter the season or situation. But God, we also pray that over our church, that no matter what our situation looks like right now, no matter what it may look like in a month, in a year, in two years, 10 years, or 50 years, the Redeeming Grace Community Church would always be a place where the gospel is boldly proclaimed when we gather, but also when we go out. And God, we just pray that your unbound word would reach into the hearts of those around us, save them by your grace, and set them for eternity. God, we pray over the course of the rest of this year and the years to come that we would see baptisms one after the other, after the other, after the other, as our church takes very seriously our calling to make disciples of all nations. And so we ask that you prepare the hearts of the people in our homes and our families and our community and around the world. And that you would give us the trust, faith, and passion to shake off the imaginary shackles that we put on ourselves, to not fear any that may come, and to be a church unbound and unleashed and reaching out for the sake of the elect so that they may obtain the salvation of Christ Jesus and the eternal glory. And we ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.